one good way to think about the law of karma uh, is it's the law of cause and effect. It's often said that the Buddha was a master of cause and effect. He understood cause and effect. His teachings were really based on cause and effect. So he wasn't concerned with talking about effects uh, or trying to help people create certain effects or goals. Uh, he had a very clear sense of what our goals should be to end suffering and to find a greater happiness. But his teaching was based on helping people develop the causes that would lead to the goals. To develop the causes that would lead to the goals. So the law of karma is really the law of cause and effect. And we could say that the main premise or what we start with when we think about the law of karma, you know, if we think about our goal being the end of suffering uh, and happiness, true happiness in our lives, what the law of karma suggests is that our happiness is dependent, so the cause that leads to happiness is our actions. So happiness is dependent on our actions, it's dependent on what we do the actions that we take in this life. And what the teaching suggested that there's three kinds of actions that we take. One are our deeds. So for instance, coming here tonight is a, is a deed, is an action that you took. Meditating is an action that you took. All the different deeds, things that you did throughout the course of the day, that's one form of action. The next form of action is our speech. And then the third form of action is our thinking. So we call that mental action. A uh, good way to understand what mental action is uh, is to understand that thoughts will arise in the mind, just like in the meditation, thoughts arose in the mind as you went throughout your day. Thoughts arose in your mind, and really there's nothing that you can do about that. Thoughts are going to arise in your mind uh, out of your past conditioning. Uh, you're not responsible for the arising of the thoughts, you're responsible for what happens when the thought arises. So it becomes your responsibility when it, the thought arises, am I going to pursue that line of thinking or am I going to let it go? Okay, so mental action is when we grasp onto the thoughts that arise and we run with them, which is what we tend to do, right? So happiness depends on our actions. If our actions are skillful, this will lead us to happiness in this life. So skillful actions are informed by skillful intention. So what makes an action skillful is the intention that drives it. So skillful intentions are intentions uh, imbued with love. So the intention to take an action that's going to be in support of our efforts to find happiness and their intentions informed by compassion. So that's the intention to take an action that's going to serve us in our efforts to alleviate our suffering. So if our actions are driven by love and compassion, this will lead us to happiness. So this is a basic tenet of the Buddhist teachings. Conversely, if our actions are unskillful, this will lead us to suffering. So unskillful actions are informed by unskillful intentions. And 
as three forms of unskillful intentions. Intentions imbued with desire, wanting, uh, wanting what we don't have. Uh, intentions informed with aversion, not wanting what we do have. All those forms of aversion, such as anger and irritation and frustration. And then intentions informed by delusion, which are the best way to think about delusion is we're just not really clear about what our intention is. So unskillful actions are motivated by desire, aversion, and delusion. If we take actions that are informed, motivated by desire, aversion, and delusion, this will lead us to suffering. It's really, in many ways, quite simple. Take actions that are informed by love and compassion, abandon actions that are informed by desire, aversion, and delusion. So this, is, this is the heart of the law of karma. Our intentions, the quality of our intention, informs our action. And the quality of our action will inform whether we're moving towards happiness or we're moving towards suffering. So intentions inform actions and actions have consequences. Actions have consequences. Now an important part of the law of karma is that when you take an action, it'll have consequences. In other words, it'll lead to either suffering or happiness when you're taking the action and also in the long term. So actions have consequences in the moment when you're taking them, and actions have consequences that are more long-term. So if you take an unskillful action, uh, an action informed with aversion, it's gonna lead to suffering when you're taking it. So in other words, if you say something to somebody that's coming out of anger, that's gonna cause you suffering when you do that and when you say that, what you're saying. Uh, but it'll also lead to you taking the same kinds of actions in the future, speaking in a way that's informed by anger, and suffering in the future. So actions have consequences that we, like we said, short-term and long-term. So the actions that we take in any moment condition the arising of those same intentions. So if it's unskillful action, we take now that'll condition the arising of, let's say if we take an action that's informed by anger, that'll inform the arising of intention imbued with anger going forward for us. So one of the ways that we like to think about that is that when you take an action, it's like you're thro throwing seeds in front of you. Throwing seeds in front of you. It's really like throwing seeds like that. I mean, the seeds that can sprout the next day, the next month, the next year, the next decade, and for the rest of your life. So, as a, for an example, as an example, you know, you're walking over here tonight. You're walking down 14th Street. It's a really hot night. It's muggy. It's humid, and the thought arises in the mind, "I don't like the way this feels." That thought arises, and then you pursue it. This is terrible. This is awful. New York City. Ah, oh, why am I here? the whole story, the narrative. So that will cause you to suffer in the moment. In that moment, that thinking will cause you to suffer. You know, in that moment, you know, it's really you know, the thinking that's causing your suffering, not the heat. 
Uh, it'll cause you to suffer in that moment, but what you're also doing is conditioning thinking informed by anger that will arise in the future. So what you're doing, you know, the Buddha said, is bending your mind in that direction. So this is something that's really important to think about. Because you're walking down the street, you're going, oh, this sucks, this is terrible. Ah, oh, New York, it's so hot, da-da-da-da-da. You're having those kinds of aversive thoughts. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But what you're doing is conditioning a mind of aversion. You're bending your mind in that direction, which means that you're going to have the same kinds of thoughts later on in the day, tonight when you go home, tomorrow, the next day, the day after that, the months after that, the years after that. So as we look at our actions, you know, we have to consider what the consequences of our actions are. You know, what are the consequences of taking this action, thinking in this way that's informed by anger or desire, saying this thing, doing whatever we're doing that's informed by anger or desire, what are the consequences right now in doing it, but what are also, what are the consequences going forward? What are the consequences going forward of these angry thoughts that I'm having, these aversive thoughts that I'm having? You know, sometimes you have an aversive thought, you're walking down 14th Street and you come over here and you see somebody who's weird on the street or something that you find unpleasant and you know, you have a judgmental thought about that person. And it feels good, actually, right? In the moment, you know, you get that little bit of rush, you know, that little bit of, uh, you know, a positive feeling. It's like, what's the, there's no problem with this. You know, sometimes the short-term consequences of an unskillful action, like an unskillful thought that you pursue about somebody or something, uh, don't really feel like they're that pernicious. But the problem is, is that you're conditioning that kind of thinking, which is going to inform uh, the way that you're going to think about other people in your life and yourself. You know, so I always think when I'm walking down 14th Street, you know, it's like if I start judging people on the street or having aversive thoughts, that's going to affect the way that I teach the class. That's going to affect the rest of my day. That's going to affect the rest of my life. That's the law of karma. That's the law of karma. So actions that are unskillful will have a deleterious, pernicious consequence in the moment, but also into the future. Okay, if we act, if we do something with anger or out of desire, if we speak, if we think in that way, it's going to have uh, a negative consequence, a consequence that will be informed by suffering in the moment and also into the future. Now, there's a couple of other things about the law of karma that are really interesting and important to consider. And one of the elements of the law of karma that's important to consider is that the long-term consequences of your actions can be quite unexpected. It might not be what you would think. Uh, the Buddha gives a, a wonderful teaching on this where he talks about certain kinds of unskillful actions and what the long-term consequences of them are. So he says, there's the case where a woman or a man is a killer of living beings, brutal, bloody-handed, given to killing and slaying, showing no mercy to living beings. It may seem like, well, that doesn't apply to me, but there's a lot of people in our culture that do that, and we certainly support that, you know, 
in our culture in a lot of ways. So there's the case where a man or a woman is a killer of living beings. This is the way leading to a short life, which is very sort of counterintuitive because we think, well, we need to kill the enemy so that we can live longer, right? But it's not true. It's like it's going to lead to a short life for us, or at least this is what the Buddha would suggest, that the long-term consequence. Now, it does kind of make sense. You know, if you're killing others, your chance of getting killed yourself or having a short life is probably a lot greater. Then he says, there is the case where a woman or a man is one who harms other beings with his or her fists, with clods, with sticks, or with knives. Over 2,000 years ago, so physical violence. And he says, this is the way leading to sickliness. So, you know, if we harm others, uh, you know, with certain kinds of violence, this is going to lead to dis dis physical disease for us. And, you know, we may know people like that, you know, who were violent, you know, and died of, a, of an, early, an early death, you know, some kind of a, a physical illness. There is the case where a man or a woman is ill. Now, this, now we're getting into things maybe we can relate to a little bit more. There is the case where a woman or a man is ill-tempered and easily upset. Even when lightly criticized, he or she grows offended, provoked, malicious, and resentful, shows annoyance, aversion, and bitterness. This is the way leading to ugliness. That's a really interesting, uh, a really interesting uh, process, right? You know, if anger essentially is what he's saying leads to ugliness. But it's kind of true if you look at somebody who's really angry, you know, no matter how physically beautiful they might be, they look really ugly when they're angry. And of course, he's talking about not just a physical ugliness, but a, you know, a metaphysical ugliness as well. He said, then there is the case where a woman or a man is envious. This is the way leading to not being influential. There are different ways to kind of think about that, but. You know, I mean, one way that I kind of like to think about that is what it means not to be influential is like, you know, people aren't going to take you seriously. You're not really going to have much of an impact on others and in life in the ways that you might want to. You know? And then he says, there is a case where a man or a woman or a man is not a giver of food, cloth, drinks, sandals, garlands, scents, ointments, beds, dwellings. Uh, basically, he's talking about somebody who's not generous, who's greedy. And he said, this is the way leading to poverty. Of course, this is so counterintuitive because we think the way leading you know, to wealth is, is to be greedy. And then he says, there is the case where a woman or man is obstinate and arrogant. This is the way leading to a low birth. And then finally, this is the case where a man or a woman, when visiting a Brahmin or a contemplative, for instance, a teacher coming to a class, does not ask what is skillful, what is unskillful, what is blameworthy, what is blameless, what should be cultivated, what should not be cultivated. What having been done by me will be for my long-term harm and suffering, or what having, and he's really talking about the law of karma here, right? Or what having been done by me will be for my long-term welfare or happiness. This is the way leading to stupidity. You know, and I mean, it, yeah, it's a little harsh, perhaps, but 
you know, I mean, certainly, you know, in many years of teaching, you know, I see how, you know, the people who really develop their practice are the one who ask questions. You know, the ones who are inquisitive come to class, ask questions. We, you know, and again, that can be somewhat counterintuitive, right? Because like, oh, the people who ask questions, they're dumb. They don't know anything. They have to ask questions. Or maybe we are afraid to ask questions because we're going to be perceived as being dumb. It's just the opposite. So just to think about that is, you know, it's really interesting. You know, the results of our actions can be unexpected. The other element of the law of karma that's important when you consider the long-term consequences of our actions is small actions can lead to big results. You know, so just a moment of saying something nasty to somebody, or you know, just allowing yourself to pursue, you know, some kind of an unskillful thought can lead to lots of suffering in the future. You know, conversely, and you know, and I think we all kind of know that, you know, a moment of loving kindness, saying something kind to somebody, you know, saying something kind to somebody on the elevator. You see that sometimes. You say something kind to somebody on the elevator and it changes your whole day. You know? And of course, those moments can lead to great happiness going forward. You think, oh, what's the big deal? Saying something nice to somebody, having a loving thought, it is a big deal. You know? If you understand the law of karma, you'll understand that. Small things lead to big results. So, you know, I don't think it's an overstatement to say that most of, that all of us have created a lot of karma in our lives. I mean, we've all created a lot of karma. We've all thrown a lot of seeds ahead of us, you know, vis-a-vis -vis the actions that we've taken. For the most part, those actions and the karma that we've created has been unskillful. Because most of us, because we haven't learned to train the mind, the actions that we've taken, the deeds that we've done, Know, have been out of desire, wanting to get something, wanting to get praise, wanting to get sensual pleasures, or they've been out of aversion, you know, out of judgment of others, saying things out of aversion, thinking out of aversion, uh, speaking that way. So, you know, most of us, dare I say, all of us have created a lot of unskillful karma. Which another way to think about it that is we've created habitual habitual ways of relating to our human experience that aren't useful, that aren't skillful. We've developed habits of mind. We've developed habits of action that are unskillful. Unskillful ways of relating to our human experience. If it's our, you know, we talk about the external human experience, our jobs, our relationships. And then the internal human experience, the experience of our body. I mean, think about how most of us have learned. We have habitual ways of relating to our body, right? We don't like the way the body looks. We don't like the way the body feels. We have habitual ways of relating to our minds. Certain things arise in the mind and we get agitated. We get depressed. We have despair. So we've created a lot of habitual ways of relating to our experience. We've created a lot of habitual ways of being in the world. You know, it's sort of like our karma creates these deep grooves, these deep grooves. And the way that manifests is just that we keep acting in the same way again and again and again. You know, the seeds sprout in front of us, you know, and 
the seeds sprouting in and of themselves is not a problem, but you know, the seeds of aversion and desire sprout, and we water them. You know, we water them. That thought arises in our mind, similar to the thought that we've had all of our lives, and we pursue it, right? You know, we're with somebody, and something happens, somebody that we've known all our lives, and you know, the inclination to speak in a way that we've always spoken arises, and we, and we speak that way. Or we take actions in our lives that are uh, habitual. So, you know, sometimes we'd like, why do I keep acting in the same way? Why do I keep acting in the same way again and again? And I don't really want to. I don't really want to. So we tend to be imprisoned by our habitual ways of relating to our experience. You know, and, I mean, in the Dharma, the teachings of the Buddha, this is what is meant by, you know, not being free. Not being free. We're prisoners of our karma. We're prisoners of our habitual ways of acting. That's the bad news. The good news is we can change. We can change our karma. You know, we can learn to free ourselves from past karma. We can learn not to water those seeds as they sprout in front of us. We can learn to change. We can learn to change our karma. So, I mean, if you really want to think about what the Buddha's teaching is at heart, what the teaching of the Dharma is, it's about changing your karma. It's about changing your karma. If you don't change your karma, in other words, if you don't change your actions, you're condemned to live in the same way that you've always lived for the rest of your life. Even though you may not believe that. I, I know that that's true. You know? Most of us don't quite believe that. So, you know, the key to changing your karma really begins with meditation. It really begins with your meditation. So it begins with developing enough tranquility so that when we're faced with experience, when we're faced with having to take action, when we're faced with having to make decisions, when those seeds are sprouting, you know, we don't react. You know, we're calm enough to be able to pause. You know, or as I like to say, we're always on the pause button. Most of us are, you know, always on the play button. We're just reacting, reacting, reacting based on our conditioning, our habitual ways of doing things. So once you start to develop meditation, you're on the pause button. You, know, you have enough tranquility to be able to be still and not react when your experience arises. And as the meditation develops, you develop equanimity, which is in large part you know, these are the, you know, this is the development of the meditation. First thing that happens is you start to develop some calmness. So you just don't get thrown by things when they happen. So if somebody says something to you like he's talking about that's critical, you know, that was always one for me. And I would always react to that. And you know, maybe it wasn't, wouldn't be saying something, it usually would be, you know, or, but it would certainly be having a lot of aversive thoughts. You know? But, you know, if you're tranquil, you don't get thrown by that. You're able to just keep your spot, stay grounded, and not immediately go into your habitual ways of reacting to that. So the first thing that happens through the meditation is you develop tranquility, and the second thing is you develop the ability to observe, to observe. And what that really means here is the ability to be able to step back from the actions that you're about to take and ask, is this an action that I want to take? 
is this an action that's going to be skillful? That thought arises as you're walking down 14th Street, oh, this is so hot, you know, this is terrible, you know, you have enough ability to observe that thought arising and say to yourself, do I want to go in that direction? Is that something I want to do? Because that's the only way that you can change your karma, you know, is by seeing what you're about to do or see what you're doing it, see what you're doing when you're doing, be able to take a step back from it and decide if you want to change. So if we develop the meditation, we can pause before acting, you know, or while we're acting. It's a little harder while you're acting, right? You know, but you can pause while you're acting, or at least at the beginning when you start to act. So we can pause you know, and observe our actions. You know, what really that means is observe our intentions. You know, what kind of intention is going to drive this action that I'm about to take? Is it skillful or not? So this ability that we all have, that we have to develop to pause, to look at our actions, and to ask whether or not they're skillful or unskillful is called heedfulness. In many ways, this is the most important skill the Buddha taught. What he often said when he gave teachings, and certainly when he ended his teachings, he often ended his teachings by saying, practice jhana, develop concentration, develop meditation, and be heedful. Develop meditation and be heedful. His last words, bring about completion by being heedful. You know, bring about completion. Move towards happiness in your life by paying attention to your actions, asking whether they're skillful, and pursue actions that are skillful and abandon actions that are unskillful. Now, this is something that we can do. You know, this is something that we can do. We can abandon unskillful intention and cultivate skillful intention. Now this, you know, and, and I always say like, you know, one of the great places to learn to begin to do this is in the meditation, right? So what did we do? The first thing in the meditation tonight, we saw what's in the mind. What's in the mind? Maybe there's resistance. Oh, I don't really want to meditate. You know, maybe there's delusion. Oh, I don't really know why I'm doing this. There's that kind of, that thing. You know, oftentimes, I mean, what you're going to see in your mind when you sit down to meditate is your habitual ways of relating to not only meditation, but other things in your life that are similar to meditation or just other actions that you've taken in your life. So in other words, you're just going to meditate the same way you've done everything else. But you can change that. And that's, what we, that's why we give that instruction at the beginning of the meditation. What kind of intention are you bringing into the meditation? For myself, you know, I never did this for the longest time because I didn't really have teachers who taught this or who taught karma or I didn't understand it. Uh, and I would meditate with aversion. I hated meditation. I would sit down to meditate. It's like, oh, do I have to do this? I really hate it, you know? And my meditation was informed by aversion. And, you know, my meditation was tight and constricted and unpleasant, and I didn't really get so far in my practice. And then I learned to be more skillful. I learned to be heedful. Every time I would sit down to meditate, I would look at what's in my mind, and invariably, to this day, what's in my mind is resistance when I sit down to meditate. That's just my past karma. That's those seeds sprouting. So when I sit down to meditate, like tonight, 
what I saw in the mind was some apprehension. Ugh, do I really have to do this? But I can see that, put it to the side, and do what? Change my karma. Let me have a skillful intention. I'm doing this out of love. I'm doing this out of compassion. So that's how you change your karma. That's how you change your karma. You can learn to do that right there within the context of the meditation. Now, of course, what happens is, you know, I'll get into the meditation, I'll be five or six, ten minutes into the meditation, and then the old intention, the karma starts to re-arise. It's like, oh, this really sucks, this is terrible. So I have to watch that and see when that happens and then shift back. That's why I said in the meditation, right, keep checking to see whether or not you're staying with your skillful intention. But once I learned to do that in the meditation, and I, it was sort of almost, I mean, I was aware of it to some extent, but I started doing that in other areas in my life. Well, what am I doing today? Is that really in my best interests? No, you know what, that really isn't. You know, that's something that I'm doing, you know, that's coming out of anger or desire. Do you really want to do that? Is that really useful? Maybe I should do something else that's in my best interests. That's in my better interests. So you can really learn if you follow that instruction, the way that we teach the meditation. When you sit down to meditate, how am I about to meditate? Is that skillful? Is the intention in the mind skillful? If not, can I change that? That's the law of karma. Right there. Right there. Now, you know, the thing of it is, is like, as per my example, you're never really going to be able to meditate skillfully or with, with good result until you learn to meditate skillfully. It's like, it's very counter, right, to what we're trying to do here. We're trying to meditate so we can be happy. A lot of people meditate and all they're just doing is making themselves more miserable. I mean, that's what I was doing. And you're going to do that because that's your past karma unless you change it. But it's not just true just with the meditation, but you can learn about that through the meditation. You know, at some point I realized you're meditating just the way you do everything else, with aversion, with dread. I would be on retreats and be like, oh, God, I don't, I don't even want to, you know, and it was, it, was, it was miserable. And I was just kind of perpetuating this way of being in the world. But I learned to change that, you know, and that was a real object lesson for me because I began to start to learn that I could change my karma. I could meditate in a different way. I started to meditate with love and with compassion, and my meditation went through the roof. I went to a whole other level in meditation. It completely changed. And then I began to do that in other areas in my life, and all of a sudden I started doing things in my life that were good for me. I could never do that. I always did things that were bad for me. I always hung out with people who were bad for me. You know, I always say, I talked about this on our retreat, I mean, I had the same job for 21 years and I hated it. I hated it. I mean, I never knew how to do anything that was good for me, and I just kept doing things that were bad for me because that was my past karma. And then I learned I could change that. I could start doing things that were good for me, and that completely changed my life. That's what the practice is about. That's what the practice offers you. It's something that everybody can do. Even like right now, you know, you're sitting here, you know, what's your intention in sitting here? Now, now, if you don't do anything, basically the way that you're sitting here and listening to me is going to be pretty much the way that you've sat and listened to other Dharma talks or other lectures or other things in your life. But you can change that. Like right now, you can say, well, what's in the mind? And you say, Let me set a skillful intention for listening right now. Can I listen with love? and I listen with compassion. Try that. 
See how that changes? And it's very simple, right? It's a very simple thing. It's very powerful. I mean, I always tell the story, uh, I told it for years, you know, about my mom, uh, who, you know, passed away just a month or so ago, but for years was ill, and, uh, you know, I had always had a difficult relationship with her, and it was challenging when she got sick, and, uh, you know, I learned how to change the way that I would relate to her. You know, I'd go to see her when she was sick, I had to take her to the doctor, or I had to do something for her, and which I did extensively over the period of 10 years, uh, really all my life, and, you know, I'd go and I'd see my walk up to her apartment, you know, and I'd say, oh, I don't want to do this. Oh, it's going to be awful. I, all the negative, you know, all that negative karma. And I would see that and I would put it to the side and I would set an intention to be with her with love and with compassion. Change my relationship with her completely, completely. I was able to be there for the most part for those 10 years and when she died with love and with compassion. I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for that, and the practice gave me that, because I learned how to do this. So we can shape our lives. Yeah? This is what the law of karma and understanding the law of karma and learning how to change our karma offers us, the opportunity to shape our lives, to take our lives back, to assert our freedom. So the thing about this law of karma, and I'll end with this and then we'll take a few questions, is you have to really take this teaching to heart. You have to take this teaching to heart. Uh, because, you know, and I was being a little, uh, a little glib perhaps when I said, you know, I was never taught, I mean I was never really taught the law of karma, but I knew what the law of karma was intellectually. I had heard teachers talk about it. I mean, intellectually knowing, I mean, intellectually, like everything I said probably makes pretty good sense. You know, that's going to get you pretty much nowhere. I mean, you have to start with the intellectual knowing, you know, but ultimately, you're not going to do the things that I'm talking about doing. You're not going to make an effort to change your karma until you understand in the heart the law of karma, until you truly understand the law of karma in the heart. You know, because, and, and, and that means you know, really truly understanding that your actions determine our happiness because most of us don't believe that. You know, intellectually we might, but most of us don't believe that our actions determine our happiness. Most of us believe that external circumstances determine my happiness. You know, if my job is the way that I want it to be, then I'll be happy. If I get the right job, if I get the right partner, if my partner or my friends do what I want them to do, then I'll be happy. It's like we believe that if external circumstances are a certain way, then we'll be happy. So we try to manipulate external circumstances. It doesn't really matter, right? You go, you get another job and you still hate it. You know, or you're still miserable because it's the same mind. You, know? you get another relationship, it's the same thing, right? Over and over again. But we don't really believe that our actions determine our happiness. We believe that it's things outside of ourselves. And we really don't believe that we can shape our lives in the way that I described. I mean, you're only going to truly believe that and then really begin to do it until you do it, practice with it, and see that it's true. And see that it's true. 
So we begin with an intellectual understanding, but we have to move to knowing the law of karma in our hearts by seeing for ourselves. It's not, I mean, I've seen it, you know? I mean, I'm still developing my understanding of it. But once I really understood the law of karma, then my whole life changed. You know, but you know, I mean, seeing it, knowing it in the heart is, is where we need to be. So, uh, you know, how do we do that? By paying attention, paying attention. You have to keep looking at your actions and what you're doing and asking, you know, what's the intention behind these actions? Are my actions leading me to happiness or suffering? When I take an action that's informed by desire or aversion, is that leading me to happiness or suffering? When I take an action informed by love and compassion, is that leading me to happiness or suffering? Look and see, pay attention. See that your actions are what determine your happiness. Look and see. See that your actions have short-term consequences, but long-term consequences. Start to pay attention to that. Start to see that when you do something, it's gonna, it has consequences going forward. Become sensitive to that. Become sensitive to that. begin to take skillful actions just in the way that I described. Like in the meditation is a good place to do. See the consequences of that. What happens in the meditation when I shift and I have an intention that's informed by love and compassion? Are there beneficial consequences to that? As you go home tonight, you're walking down the street. See how you're walking down the street. Is that action leading to happiness or suffering? You're hot, you're, you know, you're sweaty. Can you change your action, the way that you're thinking about it? Is that leading you to happiness? You know, play with the causes. Play with the intention. Start to see that if you develop a skillful intention, this will lead you to happiness. Start to pay attention to the long-term consequences of your actions. You have to do that because we really don't understand. If you keep looking and keep paying attention, eventually you'll know it in the heart. I just kept looking and paying attention and tried to change my intention and see what the results were if I change it to a more loving intention. And then I started to see, holy shit. I mean, it was just like, it blew me away. This is really true. I can really shape my life. I'm not condemned to having to live in the same way again and again and again, you know? I mean, intellectually I had heard that, but when I really saw that, changed my whole life because then I became very, very, very motivated to pay attention to my actions. I became very, very motivated to be heedful, to look at what I was doing, to ask if it was going to be skillful or unskillful. I also became more motivated to meditate so that I'd have more tranquility and more ability to observe my actions because I knew that that, you know, the meditation is great, but ultimately it's about developing the tranquility and the ability to observe your actions so that you can see which actions are going to lead you to happiness and which actions are going to lead you to suffering, so that you can choose the actions that are going to lead you to happiness and shape your life. So this is a practice of change. This isn't a practice of just being okay with the way things are. We want to change. We want to transform our lives. You know, and if we understand the law of karma, you know, this will enable us. You know, this is essential to this process of transformation. Let's just close our eyes just for a second.